When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Okay, today we're going to talk about crying, and why crying isn't a sign of weakness, nor vulnerability, that it actually has many, many neurobiological effects, in fact, many psycho-neurobiological effects, which means mind, brain, and body. But before we begin, I just want to remind you that this podcast is for educational purposes only and not medical. If you need medical advice, please contact the appropriate medical professional. Back to today's podcast. Have you ever felt ashamed or tried to suppress your tears when you just really wanted to burst into tears because maybe you grew up being told, hey, crying's not good for you, be a man, or be strong, or, you know, it's a bit of toxic masculinity there, or maybe culturally you don't show your tears, it's a sign of weakness. Well, I'm pleased to tell you that crying is definitely not a sign of weakness nor vulnerability. It is a complex human behavior, a universal complex human behavior that has a myriad of psycho-neurobiological effects. Interestingly, though, even though it's such an important and universal phenomenon, There's been very little research on crying and on tears per se. And it's only in recent years that that crying's actually had more tension in in the research. And I think it will continue from now on. But I wanted to just bring some of the latest research to you because I get a lot of questions about, you know, is it okay to cry? And am I crying too much? And when is the right time to cry? And is there a right time to cry? And is there a correct way to cry? And it just made me realize that we've taken something that's so natural and through societal pressure and culture, we've kind of distorted it. So I wanted to just make this more accessible and help us see it as a way of us expressing our emotions. Now, you've heard me say this before, but I'm going to say it again. Whenever we experience something through our mind and into our brain and our body, we are actually building physical changes into the brain. These are neuroplastic changes. You change your brain with every experience. And if the experience is very overwhelming, it's if it's very either very toxically overwhelming or just incredibly exciting and just like a, a moment like a childbirth or a wedding or something that's incredibly has very, very strong emotions. That builds into your brain. And as it's building into your brain and your body and in your mind, because you experience it with your mind and it's stored in all three places, it becomes something that's part of you and you want to express that. And crying is very often a way of expressing that. We don't want to suppress any kind of any thoughts. Thoughts always need to be managed and dealt with and expressed, especially if it's traumatic. When we have traumatic issues, we need to deal with them. We can't just push them down. Traumatic issues are basically real live trees in our brain. And I always use the toxic tree, this wiry tree versus the healthy thought tree. These are healthy and our brain and our body know what to do with these. But our brain and our body and our mind do not know what to do with these toxic thoughts. But if we suppress them, they will transmit in some way. Suppressed thoughts will transmit. So we can't suppress things and think we can get away with it. 
And crying is one of the ways that we can actually deal with our toxic thoughts. It helps to kind of relieve a pressure valve. It helps to kind of allow us to start looking at ourselves. It's kind of, it's actually a warning signal along with other emotions like depression and anxiety, which are very strong emotions and frustration and irritation and shame and guilt and all those emotions that we experience, which are warning signals. Crying is also that. It's also telling us something. And crying is not always bad. We cry, as you know. I mean, we cry when a baby's born and at a wedding and, you know, and, and, and at a beautiful, you're watching a beautiful film and some beautiful thing happens or something sad happens and you start crying. When you see someone else crying and because of the mirror neurons in our brain, you start crying. And yes, there's some people that cry more than others. And, and there's some periods in life where you cry more than at other times. So right up front, I just want to say that crying is okay. Crying is good for you. Crying is not a sign of vulnerability. Crying is not a sign of weakness. Crying is something that enables you to be able to release the pressure inside very strong emotional thoughts. Because thoughts are real things and they are made of data. I mean, they contain data and that data is the information of the event, the wedding or the funeral or the sickness or the whatever the issue was. But it's not just that information. It's also how you felt around that information. So there's also emotions. So in the root part would be the, the actual experience, all the data, the actual thing that happened. So let's say it's the funeral and the emotions attached to that with all the memories of that person. And then the, the, the branch memories are all the interpretation, how you are interpreting that event in the moment. And because this is a very high emotionally charged event, the, the stronger the event, the stronger the experience, the more emotionally charged it is, we need to release that charge. Otherwise, like a pressure cooker, it will just explode. Like a volcano, it will just explode. And crying is one of those ways of releasing that. It helps to take the incredible high intensity that this emotional pressure creates and release that. So what this means is that sometimes our emotions get so energized that they kind of spill over. And that's this, that spillover then has, it has a physiological effect. So the actual memory it's so charged up that it sets off a chain reaction inside our neurophysiology and that then stimulates crying as a way of relieving the pressure. Same thing goes for, I mean, I'm held with a toxic thought, so that's maybe a toxic issue, someone who's really horrible to you or a toxic event that happened or remembering it when you're working through processing trauma and the, the events start coming back and it can make you very tearful. Sadness, watching a sad movie or hearing a sad story or reading something sad on the news, all of those are emotionally charged. But there's the happy emotional charges too. As I said, like a wedding and the birth of a child and, a, and a, having seen someone for a long time and or someone suddenly gets really great news that was sick. Those are very emotionally charged events. And this is, I'm stressing this because I want you to understand that crying is not a sign of vulnerability. It is a sign of you being human. It is a sign of you expressing your emotions. Okay, and it's a sign of, it's an actual neurophysiological response. Essentially, crying is, is like a signal showing that there's an underlying something that is going on. In this case, it's the positive, maybe the, the birth of a child, seeing a loved one, hearing good news about an illness that you've overcome or something like that, change in someone's health or something like that, and also trying to deal with a very toxic situation. Life is filled with stresses, from family demands to worrying about the current pandemic to dealing with work while at home. And we all need moments when we can let our minds and brains rest for our mental health. One of my favorite ways to relax and de-stress is to play Best Fiends. That's friends without the R. A match 
three casual mobile puzzle game that is free to download, super fun and engaging. You don't need to be a professional gamer to play Best Fiends and it never gets boring. I love that there are literally thousands of levels to play, 5,000 and counting, plus tons of cute characters to collect. A super interesting storyline where you have to save the magical land of Minutia from all those freaky slugs. Plus I get to compete with my friends and family over Facebook. My husband and I love competing against one another and it annoys him that I'm better and faster than him. I'm on level 46 and he's only at 30. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's F-R-I-E-N-D-S without the R. Best Fiends. Sometimes I just don't have the time or energy to cook something healthy. Running my own business, traveling and taking care of a large family, including my two very energetic puppies, really takes a lot out of my day. Of course, I know how good food is so important for brain and mind health, but it can take a lot of time to prepare and cook a yummy breakfast, lunch or dinner. And honestly, I don't feel great when I end up eating takeout for almost every meal, but this all changed once I found Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest delivers delicious food all built on organic fruits and vegetables right to your door. It takes literally minutes to prepare and I never have to think twice if the food I'm eating is good for me and my family. I love their tomato wild rice sweet potato bowl. It has all of my favorite veggies and grains in one delicious pack. And the cold brew almond banana smoothie is my go-to for breakfast these last few weeks. And the best thing about Daily Harvest is that the meals are ready when you are. Everything stays fresh in your freezer until you're ready to enjoy it. So you waste less food too. All their meals are undeniably delicious. I absolutely love their delicious flatbreads, smoothies and overnight oats and are made without preservatives, added sugar or artificial anything. Daily Harvest is also committed to minimizing their environmental impact. They're in process of transitioning to 100% compostable, recyclable, plant-based and renewable fiber packaging. Get started today. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code Dr. Leaf to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code Dr. Leaf for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. The link and details will be in the show notes. Okay, so tears are one way that many people express their emotions in order to restore a sense of balance or homeostasis. So when we talk about the pressure cooker, the pressure valve, the volcano, there's obviously a build-up, 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 and then there's this explosion and the balance is restored. So that's essentially what crying is doing. It is restoring a sense of balance because as these, whether it's the toxic or the healthy, emotionally charged thoughts in your brain and in your body and your mind, as they are building, there is a whole string of emotional chemicals that are that are a whole neurophysiology. So there's neuro, neurological changes that are happening. There's emotional changes that are happening. There's chemical changes that are happening. There's electromagnetic changes that are happening. And they are building and building and building. And our whole brain and body, all of our psychoneurophysiology, mind, brain, body, works on balance. You've heard me say a few times before on this podcast that we're always looking for coherence between the left and the right side of the brain. We're looking at balance between the different frequencies in the brain. We're looking at balance in the different connections in the brain. The brain has 200 different sections and each section has multiple connections and all of these connections are working in specific ways in a balanced way. So when we have a very emotionally charged situation, those connections in the 200 different parts of the brain get emotionally fired up. So they build to a point where the balance goes off. 
So the brain and the body are then designed to sort out and restore the balance or restore the homeostasis. And that then creates this connection down to the lacrimal duct and, and the tear duct and then tears come out. And tears have a specific composition that does all kinds of interesting things. There's research being done on tears now to show that the level of saltiness or protein in the tears, and it's very new research showing that the, the, the level of proteins and saltiness and so on in the tears relates to the intensity or the type of event that you experience and that you go through. So it's very interesting. So tears are a way that we many people express their emotions in order to restore balance or equilibrium in their life. So after a good cry, I'm sure you've experienced that, like you, you feel like this buildup of tension and then you just cry and you feel better once the once the crying has passed because that buildup, it's a literal physiological, neurophysiological buildup is released and balance is restored. You may not have resolved the issue. You may still be feeling very sad, but there is a sense of balance again. And that balance is very important for us to be able to introspect and manage the situation that we are crying about and kind of pull ourselves back together again. Okay, so allowing tears can be both a signal and a validating response, helping us recognize and process the highs and lows of life. So let me explain that, that in a little bit more detail. So tears can be both a signal and a validating response. So two things. So when we cry, we pay attention to those tears because it's a signal. If you are crying, for example, we all cry, okay, different times and in different ways. There's no set cookie cutter way or amount of crying that you should that you should be doing. But if there is a change in your, the way that you cry and so on, then that's a signal. So let's say that you, you know, you cry like sad movies and happy events and, but you don't cry that much. And that's you. That's totally fine. And let's say that you're someone who does cry at everything, like the, a cartoon that's sad or, you know, that's like something on a, you know, anything. Like you see someone else crying, you start crying and that's who you've, what you've always done. Then that's part of your personality. It's part of your identity. So that's neither right nor wrong. But if there's a change, if there's more or less crying, that there's a change in the pattern. As soon as there's a change in the pattern of your crying and the way that you're crying and the length of crying, logically then we can see that crying then, those tears and that crying has become a signal that there's an underlying issue. And then you would become the thought detective and you'd apply the neurocycle and you'd work through it in the same way that I have explained before. And the neurocycle is the system that I've developed for how you use signals to manage your mind and work out what the underlying issue is. So in other words, to embrace, process and reconceptualize the issue. And I speak about that in my latest book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. I teach you all about the neurocycle, which has had 38 years of research in it. And I give you lots of examples of how to apply it. You can pick up this book wherever books are sold and also on our site now at drleaf.com. Tears can be a signal telling us, hey, pay attention. There's something going on in your life. You need to do, you need to examine what this change signifies. And then also they're validating. It's a validating response. So it's basically someone that you love and you haven't seen for ages and you see each other and you burst into tears. It's validating. It's validating. It causes a dopamine, a little bit of a dopamine rush, a little bit of anandamide, which is another chemical that can then help you to, like it's, a, it's called the bliss chemical. So it's a validating response, a validation of, of joy, of a shared experience, of something that's beautiful. So basically crying helps us to also recognize the highs and lows of life. So if we look at crying as this, this informational signal validating, looking at the highs and lows of life, it gives us information. So, and it's doing all this great neurophysiology of the psychoneurobiological balancing, which is wonderful, restoring homeostasis. Crying also appears to tell us a lot about ourselves and our relationships. So one of the main hypotheses regarding crying is that it is a way of signaling distress. Okay, 
joy or empathy. So promoting social interaction and support. So when you cry, people pay attention. And it's a way of expressing distress. Think of a young child that's really easy to understand. But if someone in your family or someone that you know, a loved one, is crying a lot, it's a signal to you that there's distress. And because of our mirror neurons in the brain, we then then stimulates empathy. It stimulates that social, deep, meaningful connections. It draws people in, and you get the support that you are needing. So it's kind of it's a distress signal, indicating that support is needed. It also is a way, as I, as I said, it's also a way of sharing joy, and validating joy and exci- and excitement, and is sharing that as well amongst people. So once again, it's that social bonding, that deep, meaningful connection. You see, it's not about you. It's about you in the world. So, so it's not just about you. So you're unique and you're uniquely placed with your role in the world. And we see from quantum physics that we, there are these waves of energy. And when two waves, think of the sea, it's easier to picture with the sea. When two waves go underneath each other, they build. That's enhancement. The wave is enhanced. But if they hit each other, they flatline. They go flat. So when we recognize through some, something like crying that we are signaling to others that we're distressed or we are having a joyful experience or there's that validation aspect. We are then enhancing each other. We're moving into an enhancement mentality. Enhancement creates a wonderful psychoneurobiological reaction through the brain and the body that increases hormones that flows from your heart to your brain, give you peace, calmness. So it's a general sense of, I can do this. I can cope. I can, I can, I'm not alone. So when, when someone's crying and you give them a hug or you touch them, They've communicated their distress and you've stepped in and given them the support that they need. And that then gives them the resilience to be able to then deal with whatever they're dealing with or to start to deal with whatever they're dealing with and vice versa. I'm sure when you've cried and someone's come and hugged you, that calming, soothing touch shows that they've, that your signal was received and you were heard. You feel heard. You feel seen. You feel that you've connected. And we need that for our psychoneurophysiology. We need that as humans. Okay, so chemically, there's some super interesting things that happen. So prolactin is one of the main chemicals that is released when crying. And prolactin, we associate with women that are breastfeeding. But prolactin is also released in both males and females in response to negative and positive stress. So we release too much when it's negative stress and then the right amount when it's positive stress. So it's in other words, prolactin is released in response to the the stress response. Also very new research. And it's very interesting. And in my most recent clinical trials, which I have in the summary of that in this book, I actually didn't didn't directly research crying, but I researched teaching people through the neurocycle how to identify the warning signal and become a thought detective and use the five steps of the neurocycle to identify the underlying cause and then to embrace, process and reconceptualize. So sort of a deconstruction, reconstruction process. And we looked at all different measures. And one of the blood measures we looked at was prolactin. And all of my, this whole neurocycle is about mind management. It's about, you know, self-regulating, managing your mind, looking at the signals to see what you need to alter, change or in terms of your responses, et cetera, et cetera, in your life. So it's mind management. And what we found very interesting is that those, the subjects that were in the experimental group that had all the assessments done, the blood work and DNA and psychological testing and narrative, et cetera, when they used the neurocycle, there was a, a definite trend at the beginning of the study where they were in high stress, the prolactin was high and there was a definite trend of prolactin reducing down to normal levels over the period of the study. So as they got there, started finding the root causes of their feelings of distress, that that reduced prolactin. 
So if we see crying as a warning signal, then it makes sense that prolactin has that link to when we manage our crying, when we respond to it, we don't see it as a vulnerability, we recognize it as a signal, we read it in the ways that I've been saying, that it would then have an impact on prolactin. So basically, we saw a definite downward shift in the subjects in my clinical trial when they managed stress and those that were in the, in the control group where they didn't do the neurocycle, so they didn't have mind management, so they didn't manage, they didn't have a way of managing their signals, that there, there was a, the prolactin went up and down it was very variable as, as they were going through the process of the study. So what we're saying here is that prolactin has a definite impact on how we function when in terms of stress management, and it's linked to crying. So there's a definite link between prolactin and stress and prolactin and crying. So it's just interesting that our body, it's showing that, it's showing that psycho-neurobiological effect. So there's a hormonal response to our mind experience that we then build into our brain, and that affects hormones like prolactin so as people and then as you learn to manage your mind so that learns that so we see a change in the chemical response so then the prolactin instead of increasing will start to normalize so other chemicals that are related to crying as well are oxytocin which is known as the bonding chemical and that we know is released with breastfeeding with birth with, with intimacy with love with hugs it's that bonding it's called the bonding chemical so once again crying is related to bonding so it's a good thing so prolactin's a, it's good that prolactin is released in the right amounts once it goes up and down with crying. So as, as the crying, as, as your stress increases, you cry, the prolactin is increased. Then, it, then as your crying decreases, so the prolactin, as the crying rebalances, so the prolactin stabilizes. Same with oxytocin. As you cry, as you build up, the oxytocin's, there's less. As you cry and restore balance oxytocin stabilizes. So the other ones that are released are vasopressin, endogenous opioids, which are great for pain relief. So it also can contribute, crying can help with pain relief. And all of those, the combination of prolactin, vasopressin, oxytocin, and the endogenous opioids help us to feel more calm and in control. That's that whole restoring of the balance. Crying also in, in the brain Neurologically, there's certain circuits that we see that crying tends to activate. And the one, there's two parts specifically, the anterior central gyrus. So now I'm going to show you on my little slide over here. It's around this part of the brain over here. Okay. And that basically is an important part in terms of cognitive fluency, being able to shift between different thoughts to be able to get perspective. We need cognitive fluency when we, when we are trying to get perspective on things. And very often when we're emotionally charged, we lose our perspective. So crying can help bring perspective back again. Then we also see another area that it affects is the central autonomic nerve uh, nerve network. It's called the CAN, the central autonomic network. And the two, that works with the anterior central gyrus. And the central autonomic network is very important for restoring balance. So when we cry and restore balance, we see a strong activation in the central automatic network. And then as we see a strong activation in the ACC, the anterior central central gyrus. So, the, and then that helps with restoring the cognitive fluency, the ability to get perspective, to think. To, so we get balance back, we get perspective back. So that's this neurological impact. So there we see the chemical impact with the prolactin and vasopressin and oxytocin and endogenous opioids. And then we see certain networks in the brain being activated that help to restore balance and also help us to have cognitive flexibility and see perspective. So this implies that the experience of crying that led to the tears, good or bad, disturbed the balance in the neural networks, affected a person's ability to think, and consequently the crying is the mind and body's way of restoring a degree of balance to the brain and unlocking thinking. 
a bit like letting off steam. Okay, so it's a great thing. So just a couple of questions that actually came up from viewers in terms of crying is that how often would you say an average person should be crying a week, a month, or whatever? And my answer to that is there's no, and I've said this already, there's no right and wrong way to cry, nor is there a right amount to cry. Just as everyone is different, our need to cry is different, we're unique. It's based on our own uniqueness as individuals and how we perceive the world. There's something you can do that no one else can do. You see the world in your own unique way. So let's not put crying into this category that there's a right and a wrong way of crying. There isn't. It's totally up to you. The key is the important point is not to suppress your feelings. And I've spoken a lot about that on this podcast. I speak a lot about that in my new book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, the danger of suppressing toxic thoughts. They're real. They'll increase your vulnerability to disease by 35 to 98%. They'll mess up your mind. You've got to deal with your stuff. And crying is a way that can help us recognize we are suppressing stuff and we need to do the work. As I'm sure you well know, when your feet feel in pain or uncomfortable, your whole body feels uncomfortable. I, for one, get easily stressed out and find it hard to concentrate if my feet are sore or cold, and hard to work out and keep my mind and brain comfortable if my workout socks are always slipping or pinching me, which is why I love Features' incredible range of durable, lifetime guaranteed socks, all of which are engineered to help you achieve your personal best, no matter what you're doing. The family-owned and operated company design all their socks with a custom-like fit, which means they don't slip, they don't bunch, and they certainly don't give you blisters. I never want to take off their everyday ultralight socks, which never fall off my feet and are so comfortable that they feel like slippers. Features is challenging you to try a pair, and if they're not the best socks you've ever worn, they'll take them back. They are so confident that you'll love their socks that they've also given listeners of Cleaning Up the Mental Mess $10 off your first pair of features when you go to features.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. That's F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S dot com slash Dr. Leaf for $10 off your first pair of features. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. Building new healthy habits is hard. My own research is about changing the mind and getting rid of toxic habits and behaviors, so I would know especially when there's so much conflicting advice and information out there. Enter Noom. Based on the science of psychology, Noom teaches you how to eat and make good lifestyle choices so you can accomplish your personal health goals and stick with them long term because you don't need rules to live well, you need knowledge and how to apply that knowledge. With Noom, you pick up the health goals that are right for you and Noom personalizes a health program to help your aspirations become reality. Noom has seriously improved my overall mental and physical health. Since using Noom, I feel good about my lifestyle choices, have an improved sense of self-worth and mood, and less stress. Their program is flexible. You don't have to commit to a rigorous plan, and it is easy to use because it just takes 10 minutes a day. Noom is also forgiving because you're human. You go off track today, you'll be back on track tomorrow. There's a science to getting healthier. It's called Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom. N-O-O-M dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf. Learn how to eat again with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf. Ready to learn to live healthier? Sign up for Noom today at N-O-O-M dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf. More info and the link will be in the show notes. So does holding back crying have a negative effect on a person's physical and emotional well-being? Absolutely. And it will affect, so if you hold back your crying, you're then going to affect the vasopressin, the prolactin, the oxytocin, the endogenous opioids. 
the instead of the a the the part of the brain the ACC that's going ACG that's going to help with cognitive flexibility it's going to get stuck so you're not going to have perspective you're going to get stuck in your thinking your balance is going to be off so that network the CAN network is going to be the central automatic network is going to not be balanced you that pressure cooker building up is not going to be released and so on so everything I said in the beginning is are there times when someone should probably not cry does crying have any adverse effects that someone should look for and I'm going to say here crying is a messenger. It's telling you something. So for me to say, are there times when people should not cry? Is like trying to tell you to be someone that you're not. If you feel the urge to cry come along, you need to let that be released because that's what you, as I've explained, with all the neuropsychoneurobiological effects. Okay. So the thing to look out for is if there's a change in your pattern of crying. So if there's you, you, you kind of know your pattern of crying, and if you don't kind of observe yourself, but you deep down inside, you you know that. So if there's a change in that then that's, that in itself is a messenger that you need to pay attention and deal with something that's suppressed. It's telling you that something is going on. You need to become a thought detective and do the neurocycle to find the root cause. Okay, so crying is a messenger. It's telling you something about you and what you are going through, whether it's toxic or happy. So it's a messenger that is validating you and telling you about something that's going on in your life. So it's always worth responding and paying attention to your crying. So here's a neurocycle that you can do to help you to manage, just to understand crying in your life and just to help you in working out if it's a signal to find the underlying cause of the distress and to help to recognize and give yourself permission. For those of you that think that crying is shameful and that it's a sign of weakness, well, it's not. So here's a little neurocycle just to help you to apply this in your, this information in your life. Okay, so first of all, when we cry, we can feel a little worked up. So we need to calm ourselves down by breathing deeply. So get the crying out and then you can do a little bit of breathing to calm yourself down. So you can breathe in for five counts and out for 11. And the extended breath out helps to then release the similar chemicals to those that you release in crying. Okay, so it helps to bring some, to helps to add to that calming effect that you've already had that you've already experienced from the crying process. Now you're going to go into the five steps and the five steps are gather, reflect, recheck and active reach. So for the gather, gather awareness of the emotional and physical warning signs your body is sending you in which in this case it's crying. So embrace the crying signal. Don't judge them. Don't try and suppress it. Embrace the crying. Okay. Spend about 30 to 45 seconds doing this. Now reflect on how you feel. Ask, answer and discuss your feeling around the crying. Why am I crying? Is How's this making me feel? How's it releasing the tension? How's it restoring the balance? What is it telling me? Do I need to do more work here? Is this out of my normal pattern? Do that for around about a minute. After reflecting, write this down in your Metacog. Now, Metacog is a way of organizing information on your page that really gets the two sides of the brain working together, really activates that anterior central gyrus that allows cognitive thinking to move through your brain, activates those 200 areas of your brain and the connecting networks, and I teach you how to do it in this book and also in my NeuroCycle app, which is available on iTunes and Google Play, where I literally give you therapy using the NeuroCycle. And so you're going to write down what you've discovered from your gather and your reflect, and then you're going to recheck that, recheck what you've written. So I've said here, look for triggers, look for thought patterns. For example, if you notice that you start crying when someone brings up a certain subject, and it consistently happens. And, and let's say that this is what you normally do, but let's say that it's suddenly happening more. So that could be a signal, okay, this particular subject's making me cry, even when it isn't really that sad. So there's something there going on. So pay attention and decide, okay, I'm going to do a full 63-day neurocycle, which I explained to you how to do in this book, because obviously this crying is telling me that there's something around the subject is pointing to some thought 
issue that's going on in my life and I need to become a thought detective. So that's what the recheck is for, is to analyze the crying and the pattern and what it's telling you. Okay, so lastly, take action. This is the act of reach. And this can be a positive statement that validates your feelings or a boundary you put up to give yourself time and space to process how you feel. So it could be as something as, oh gosh, I always felt so bad that I cried. Now I understand crying is releasing all those natural opiates in my body to help me with pain or it's restoring my balance. Or the actual act of reach should be, oh gosh, I keep crying in with, whenever this subject is brought up, so therefore I'm going to do a neurocycle. So it's basically an action step from the information you've gleaned from doing the neurocycle around the crying. So in conclusion, crying is good for you. There's a lot more. There's not enough research done on it, but there's much more research that's coming up. It's actually quite strange that it's such a universal phenomenon, yet so many people, there's so little research on it. But the research that's coming up is that crying is good for you. It validates you. It's a signal. It's a way of communicating with others. It's a way of restoring balance in your psycho neurobiology. And it is something that you should embrace and if it changes, you can do a neurocycle to examine why it's changing and what is it telling you and what do you need to manage in your life to improve it. Thank you for joining me today and I hope this has helped you and I look forward to seeing you next time. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com. And to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.